thing is, it's every week that I say, you know, that particular five minutes always leaves me speechless. So I think, well, maybe we shouldn't do it right then, when I'm just about to have to... Maybe we should do it at the end and then go out. Maybe we should do it in the beginning and get over it. But um, it's the best piece of dharma. Without, without a doubt, it's the best dharma of the whole morning. You know, we have to... Not to read in a book about everybody suffers and life is difficult for everybody. It's hypothetical. You have to know it's the person next door and your grandchild and yourself. Thank you for letting us know about that. Taking a long time with that pathology report. Yes. Too long. Yeah? I needed to give up thinking that that meant anything. Maybe it doesn't mean anything. That's it. Maybe it means it's taken a long time. It was President's Day or something or other. Well, that's part of it. But they're dipping it in, he says, and then they do something else and they dip it in again. And then he couldn't reach the, the department yesterday on the phone. That, that's what I decided. I just let that go. I'm going to go on with my life and, mm-hmm. you know, I'll call. If they lost it, I don't know what happened. <laughs> he says he's never lost one. But okay. Uh-huh. It's hard to wait, you know. Every time the phone rings, you think, ah! Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm feeling very good about having, just about giving that up. Yeah. It's okay. I, you know, if yeah. it goes on much longer, then I will protest loudly, but mm-hmm. I can't that. Yeah. And I feel good. Yeah. And so you're over the surgery and all that. I'm glad about that. <coughs> you know, with everybody, with everybody's got something. And it's a, it's a year that Morton is gone, just today. Yeah. You know, the question that will, in a moment talk about in a formal way you know now we're going to have a talk and who did the homework we could have that was really the homework because anybody who said anything we could have talked about that and the wisdom in that or what you learned from that all right it's all the same. <laughs> Take a breath. Does anybody have a piece of class business interest that they want to tell people? Some piece of news. Yeah. I just learned there's a new app. And it's, uh, you can download it and uh, quotes from the Dalai Lama. Yeah. So every time you do something with it, it tells you another quote? There ought to be an app that's that's an app of a list of Dharma apps because there's a lot of there's a lot of apps. I mean, you can get bells to ring at the end of your sitting, and you can get some, the Burmese bells or Tibetan bells or whatever kind of bells you want. So there ought to be an app for you know. Then the sub apps from that. Can I just make an announcement? Yes, please. That is that there are three baskets that are there in the back of the room for those of you who might not know. One is the class fee basket, and Spirit Rock is requesting $8 to keep the lights on. Um, then there's a small basket, and that's for the homeless uh, to provide extra food for them in Santa Fe. And thirdly, following the tradition of the Buddha, Sylvia is giving freely of her presence, her wisdom, and teachings to us today. So the Dharma basket is there if you would consider contributing to her because uh, she doesn't receive any remuneration from Spirit Basket. Just given to us. So thank you. And I thank you also. You know, it's lovely. It's lovely actually to get a check because when you 
when you give a gift there in a week or so, I get a check in the mail. It's always a surprise, you know. I say, oh, you know, and then, well, you know, and then you see it's from a week or two weeks before. Uh, it's lovely that that happens. And um, also the truth is that it's extremely good for me to be here, you know, that somehow I, I think it would be... Uh, it would be a fair dharmic exchange without an exchange of gifts because uh, I feel better when I talk about the dharma. I feel better when I listen to it or when I talk about it. It doesn't matter. Sometimes I think to my... I tell people I enjoy giving a dharma talk because I like to hear a dharma talk. And I'm happy hearing my own because I like them. You know, I'm happy hearing other people's also. It's very consoling. That's true. It's true. It's very good to hear Dharma. It's consoling. Don't you think so? You know, years and years and years ago, I remember listening to James teaching one night, decades ago, 30 years ago, listening to James teaching one night. And I realized that I'd have no, I, I remember that particular moment when I thought, this is just so consoling. Like, like what I said to you before about Howie Cohen saying, well, the first time I heard the Four Noble Truths, I cried. You know, I was listening to James. I was feeling, I had felt agitated, who knows why, and I felt consoled by what he said. I don't remember what I was agitated about, and I don't remember what he said, but I remember the feeling of being consoled. And uh, I noticed that I said consoled again this morning when I was making a prayer, and I realized that I didn't used to say consoled so much that I think it's a function of maybe of my own getting old. Uh, maybe, I hope, actually, of uh, a growing awareness and understanding about the ubiquitous nature of suffering in the world. You know, you look at people, you look at people... If you, I, I remember telling a couple of weeks ago when I first got back from being away for several months and uh, was telling that my husband had been hospitalized in Europe and he's fine now, he's okay, he's really fine. Uh, But having spent uh, several weeks in the ICU and um, as you sit there, people getting wheeled in, people getting wheeled out, more people getting wheeled in, people getting wheeled out, people are congregating in the afternoon just before visiting hours, to visit their person because they, you know, the visiting hours start at a certain time. And I don't know if this is true all over the world or my guess is in any situation like that where groups of people have all convened who don't know each other but about to do the same mission of visiting someone who's important to them in a dire condition because everybody's in the ICU is in a dire condition. You know, there, there was. There, I realized after a while there was a kind of a protocol about how people behaved. You look around, you see the same people. There are clumps of people. Here are these people, there are those people, there are those people. And there was a way that I noticed after a while that people acknowledged each other so that you know that they know that you saw them the day before and they saw you. But nobody says, how are you or how's it going? Because first, first of all, you just don't. And second of all, I think nobody knows at that moment. They're all a little tense because they're waiting to go in and see, in fact, how their person is doing. And you look at people and you think, that person looks really drawn. Probably it's not going well with them or that person doesn't look really, you know. But uh, how do you know? You're just looking at people you don't know anyway, so how do you know? But I, I thought it was consoling to wait there with bunches of people. It's like I'm not the only one in this particular situation in the world. There, This whole place is full of six or eight families waiting to do that. And in every hospital, every far and near, there are people waiting in this particular group this morning. There are people waiting to have the outcome of this or the outcome of that or the outcome of this or that. We're all waiting. Then, and then I thought, well, you know, I could say about the Dharma of ICUs, but actually it's a Dharma of everywhere. You get on a mini bus and you look around and you think to yourself, I think to myself, if I could see if there was a bubble over everybody's head, they were thinking about what was going on in their life. 
you'd see a little piece of a story that would have complexity in it for everybody. Because that's what we think about, is the complexities in our life. Every once in a while, we think, what will I cook for dinner? Which is not a big complexity, but, uh, or, uh, you know, what should I wear to go to that party? But, you know, I think a lot of times we're trying to figure out, how am I going to keep myself comfortable in this life, given whatever is happening to me? Um, I think so much of it is, is 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 consolation being able to somehow convey to other people that you get it that um, we're all in difficulty when I came in this morning somebody was talking to somebody I don't know who it was they're talking about what's the line from uh, the Dalai Lama what did he say about kindness and religion and so I, I, I guess the people were thinking about what they were going to say about their one concerning life. And him saying, my religion is kindness. When I started to practice years ago, I would not have said that I was coming to going on these long retreats and sitting and practicing because I wanted to be more kind. If someone had said, come on a retreat, it'll make you more kind. I probably would have said, you know, I'm doing all right on the kindness. I'm a nice person. I came from kind people. I'm not thinking about I should become kind. I mean, I wasn't, it just wasn't on my mind. What I was is anxious. Uh, who knows? I came from kind, anxious people? No. I actually, I came from kind people who weren't particularly anxious. I don't know where my anxiety came from. It's gratuitous, but it's true. So, but... Uh, and maybe it's a, it was a prescient, uh, prescient appreciation of the fact that this is a very, uh, you know, uh, to be alive is to have a complication. You know, that really, uh, because we will lose everything that's dear to us unless they lose us first. I mean, that's really the situation. You don't know from moment to moment. Who knows? So I would not have been so terribly interested in kindness, but it might have sounded to me like I could have joined the Girl Scouts for that or something. (laughs) I really wanted something to cause me to be less anxious. And maybe the way it works is as the mind settles down and becomes at least, I suppose, somewhat more mature. I like that better as a word than wise. Uh, I think the mature mind gets it, that that's the way it is in this life. Somebody said that this morning. I mean, we're all going to die sometime. And, uh, but that doesn't make it, it doesn't make it, it makes it normal and it makes it natural. But it doesn't make it without um, the distress of separation. It doesn't make it without, no matter how old people get, we miss them, you know. We can't phone them up. You can't have tea with them anymore. You can think about them. You can remember them. But it's different. It's really different. I I read uh, early on when I was beginning to practice, I uh, read something from the early life of the Buddha, early teachings, I think it was it was in the life of the Buddha by Bhikkhu Nanamoli, which is one of my favorite books. And the Buddha is quoted as saying, "Everything that is dear to us causes pain." I thought, you know, I, I was, you know, I, I was, what? I was thirty-five years younger than now, and that's a hard that's a hard line to swallow, and. Uh, uh, I was teaching, I, I, at one point I was teaching a course in religion, at Eastern religion at Dominican College, and I, mu- I must have some, somehow gotten into that point of view uh, or, pre- or portrayed Buddhism from that point of view because some one student, you know, Dominican, uh, at least in those days, had largely young students just out of high school uh, here in Marin County. And the presentation of life as suffering, it hadn't been their experience. They came from affluent families and in a time where the world wasn't so treacherous and dire as it seems to be now. 
and here I am carrying around, carrying on with life of suffering, and uh, probably not teaching it very well, because somebody raised their hand in kind of an anguished voice. They said, "Do Buddhists have birthday parties?" <laughs> I remember it because you know I clearly was not teaching well. That, that's not the kind of uh, suffering that the Buddha was talking about. You know. The suffering that we make in our life because we're not happy with wh- how things are, and they can't be different. When we say, well, anyway, that's one of my, it's going to be one of my lines that I think is very important. But I think what happens is that as the mind becomes more mature and it gets to see, this is what happens to everybody doesn't mean that that you know it's it, we look forward to being parted from what we love but i think we choose to love uh, knowing full well that we'll be separated from it we don't think about that very much it seems impossible not to have you know. and yet we all of us know people everybody we know has suffered a loss and continues on you know it doesn't feel beforehand doesn't feel right afterwards either that we could go on or we have the energy or that we want to. But then by and by, Barbara said it before, he said the body is very, somehow body is very stalwart. If you assault it and you have a surgery here or there and you get finished with it, it says, I'm coming back. And it comes back. You know, it's a really, it's an amazing thing to be a human body. And the mind also, as soon as it's been bereaved and, you know, you have a terrible bereavement of something that's unthinkable. You think, I can't do it. You know, I'll, I'll never manage again. And we do. Uh, after a while, the mind comes back for most people. It doesn't forget, but it, it gets a, uh, its own resiliency. In the middle of bereaved, it seems impossible that you would laugh again or want to go to a movie or care about the latest style and shoes, you know. Everything becomes so ridiculously irrelevant. And then by and by the mind settles itself back and reconstitutes itself mostly. It's really amazing. It's got this urge to live in some way. So I have a list of one-line things. Oh, I know what I wanted to say. Because uh, I was listening to, and then I'm going to tell, I, I, maybe I'll tell you my list, but maybe I'll hear yours first and say that. But I, I remembered, um, I remembered when we were saying what we were thinking about uh, and who we were thinking about and... Uh, Actually, I, I recognize the voice of the person who said about somebody who publicly criticized something, mm-hmm. who criticized some, some work that a group of people had done together. And I was thinking, I had forgotten to put on my list, that's why I'm going to tell you this thing first. I was thinking about the importance, again, um, maybe tremendous importance, of wise and kind speech. And the thing about... Um, sticks and stones will break my bones but you know, we used to say words will never harm you actually I think it's the other way around you, you can break the bones and they get better and the words last forever in the mind if you ask people what was the first um, rebuke that you can remember or the first criticism that you can remember how many years ago People usually remember, well, how old were you when you, can you remember being criticized at? Five. Five. Four. Three. I think it's about three, four, five. Somewhere in nursery school, preschool, school. The time that you really get the impact of, of words. Somebody says something to you and it, it hurts the mind and we remember it. X many years later, it's usually somebody's age minus uh, age minus four or something. How how old is the oldest rebuke we remember? So I went to the symphony last week. 
uh, on the night that the uh, Russian Philharmonic was playing, and they had a pianist who was quite a young pianist. He was 21. He had won all kinds of prizes. And he played very vigorously, very vigorously. It was a really amazing piano pyrotechnics. <laughs> Watched him, and it looked a little bit like a, like a, um, like a parody of a passionate pianist, you know, hurling himself more or less at the piano and playing in a very, you know, wild way and very loud and very wild. But, but he was playing uh, Prokofiev anyway, so that's already, you know. And, uh, and the audience loved it, you know. They, they, they applauded so much, he came out and he did an encore in the same vain and then they had a, a uh, the, the intermission and then there was a Tchaikovsky w- without the piano but also something extremely you know uh, I thought that the, the program notes probably said molto agitato furioso or something <laughs> the whole thing was and you know I went with a friend of mine and we we, we looked at each other in the middle because then it ended we were laughing a little bit between us I said oh, they all have to go home and you know relax a little bit <laughs> but, but you know it was enjoyable it was an interesting thing just like that we went purposely to see that and then uh, she brought me the review out of the Chronicle the next day and it says oh, what does it say pianist pummels Poor Prokofiev. So I, thought, I felt really bad. I mean, here's this, here's this young guy. He's got a whole career in front of him, you know. He's come to the United States. He's playing. He's 21 years old. He's won every prize. He's going he's gonna to mature. He's going to do all kinds of things. He's probably gotten some rave reviews. Otherwise, he wouldn't be the featured pianist. But I felt so bad for him that he gets, and, and I thought that the reviewer probably enjoyed writing that review. He could have written that same thing and said, you know, it was his mastery of the piano was extraordinary. It would have been good if he would have had more shading in his playing or something. But he, the idea of writing a headline that says "Pianist pummels poor Prokofiev," which is, you know, someone say, "Whoa, look at this clever." Uh, reviewer who did that, and I guess reviewers get their jobs because they're clever. But I felt bad for him, so I was thinking about it. Was thinking about it during the week about that pianist is probably going to remember that it said pianist pummels. What's he going to do the next time? I think about it. the whole business of reviewing and uh, uh, grading. They're talking now about taking away... Oh, there was an article in yesterday's paper about taking away the star system in for starring restaurants, one star, two star, three stars, because then you get your star taken away, or what's the difference between you and a one star and the next guy, person with a two star? Is it your napkins or your air conditioning, or what's the difference? And uh, anyway, this person was asking other people to write in and say... You know, maybe you could talk about a restaurant, just about what's really wonderful about them. I and you don't have to have the the stars business. It's interesting. Little ratings. So there used to be a cowboy song where the uh, called "Home on the Range," where the key line is "Where never is said heard a discouraging word," <laughs> and I. So, Seldom is heard a discouraging word, and the skies are not cloudy all day. <laughs> you want to sing the next line? <laughs> there you go. Somebody started home, home on. See, everybody knows. (laughs) All right, I have stuff on my list, but uh, I have Susan's list, but Susan will read hers because she's got it. Don't you have your paper that you sent me? I have your paper. I have... It says... Should I read it? It says, I love the idea of a GPS. Oh, you had this clever thing... So I have to go back tell you the GPS idea. Who, who, people, who didn't hear the GPS idea? 
Okay, a couple of people. So I have a GPS. My husband's is better. I covet it. It's better than mine. Uh, his GPS not only tells you what to do, but it shows you a picture of here you are and here. And it shows you a picture, which my mind does not, of the mistake you don't want to make. As you're going along, it sh- and it's telling you, keep to the left and two miles, keep to the left and one mile, keep to the left and a half a mile. It shows you a picture uh, in uh, in which there's a highway and a car going over here, keeping to the left, and over here there's a bifurcation where you don't want to go. They've made that point already. And that bifurcation, you can see that that piece of highway goes actually over to uh, the East Bay. So if you're coming north <coughs> from Palo Alto, you don't want to take that. You want to go here. So it says that, and then you see in just what will ha- where you will go if you go in the wrong place. And uh, if you go, and my experience with GPSs is when I don't hear or I don't interpret right, or in fact the road is blocked and I can't do what that voice says to me, then the voice soon says to me after that, recalculating. <laughs> And then it tells me, at the next possible, uh, make the next possible U-turn, go back. It never gets annoyed with me. It would say that same thing over and over and over again if it had to until I got on the right track. And I thought to myself that uh, apropos of understandings about practice, my current um, central understanding is that we get to choose moment to moment the the uh, an in, uh, the next moment's intention comes out of the clarity of this moment, and uh, we are choosing moment to moment, not even um, what's the word, not even aware, uh, uh, not even consciously, but we are choosing. I'll do this, 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 and sometimes I, without thinking, if I'm choosing without clarity. I might say something to somebody that I regret right away. I realize I didn't really say that well, or maybe that was a discouraging word, or maybe that wasn't so good. And that the point of my practice, it, when I find that my mind is going in a wrong direction, is to fix it as soon as I can. If you're saying, if I'm saying something to someone in my family, and I realize. This is really not a good thing to say. The way you know, erase that. I didn't mean that. I'm starting again. If I'm thinking it and I have not said it yet, which is really good, if I'm riding along and I think, well, when I see that person, I'm going to say da da da, whatever. Then another voice says right away, "No, you're not, because if you do that, you won't feel good." Recalculating. Don't say that. That will not help. So. That the mind that can recalculate, because I do not want to end up in the suffering of having taken that wrong turn, which I could do all the time, because I am subject to the same impulsivity that everybody else did, is. I think what we're learning to do when you say mindful behavior, wise behavior, mature behavior, is knowing, and and in fact, what, what behavior differentiates us from other kinds of animals is we have an impulse, and before we act on that impulse, we have, we hope, enough time to evaluate, is this impulse leading in the direction of suffering or not suffering? And if it's leading in the direction of suffering, because it's going to make mind states that are agitated or guilty or regretful, we have the possibility of not doing it, recalculating, let's not do that. So I, I had so this is all built up to Susan, because I, I said last week I thought I sh- in the spirit of modernity, uh, instead of calling it an eightfold path, we should call it the uh, uh, I, and having in mind the image of a GPS, which Susan has called the guide to spiritual practices, which I think is really so good uh, to help us find our direction in life that will surely present in our lives. Which will which lives which truly present us with loss, sickness, and ultimately death. We need to prevent wrong turns onto paths of anger, resentment, and depression. When these challenges present themselves, and we can be sure they will. Also, (laughs) Susan is quoting me, but I'm quoting somebody else who (laughs) says. But I, I remember actually from where. 
somebody impressed me a long time ago who said, my point is to be able to say when life confounds me, this isn't what I wanted, but it's what I got. That's like such a boom. This isn't what I wanted, but it's what I got. Boom, finished. You know. Now what? Um, this isn't what I wanted, but what I got. And meeting each moment with an open heart, speak to me. So many people refuse to accept the inevitability of these challenges or to accept death as a natural part of life. Staying in the right direction has a great deal to do with the acceptance of what is. Understanding impermanence makes accepting easily. This too will change. There are many things that get us back in the right direction when we feel lost. And oh, I asked uh, the question, the homework. You get an A in the homework. This is a very good homework. Thank you, Sylvia. Kind words. Huh? I said such kind words. No, but this is really, I mean, it's good homework. Uh, and I said, what do you do? What do you collectively do to keep your mind in a shape to recalculate clearly? She says, I exercise, I love music, meditation, and as the Buddha said, the company of good friends. I love the idea that we have a choice. I know that we're capable of great love, great compassion, and great joy. Mary Oliver says that the Buddha's last words were, make yourself a light. Make of yourself, make of yourself a light. I add... Hillel's, uh, if not now, when? Uh, and, of course, my tagline. Do you ever get an email from Susan? She should. Uh, she signs her emails, stay amazed. Yeah. I love that, actually. I love that. So thank you for the homework. I'll tell you the one homework sent by Wendy, who was here last week, and couldn't be here today, she said, but I want to tell everybody that my best lines are from the Metta Sutta, and uh, the two lines that I really, really like best are contented and easily satisfied. That's a nice line. Everybody just said, hmm. <laughs> That's good. And it's, you know, it's like a, it's a, given some of the lines, it's a more homely line. It's more like ordinary, contented, and easily satisfied. That's good. Contented and easily satisfied. And the other one is by not holding to fixed views. So, but what ones did you write down or think about? All those people who put up their hand, I did the homework. <laughs> Ramani, you go. I love in the last two years, the four contemplations, and I try to remind myself every day to remember the preciousness of this human life. That kind of stops me right there. Yeah. And that, but the second one is remember recalling that everything dies, mm-hmm. and so then I remember the preciousness of this human life, and also recalling that any state of my mind will also pass away. All conditions change. And then the third one is, um, and you spoke of it, that all of my actions, whether they're virtuous or not, have a result. So it makes me stop or see the result of my actions when they're particularly not so wise. And the last is, um, I love this one, when I do not remember my boundless nature, I suffer. When I, mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> You know, when I remember, I mean, I only think of myself as me, mine, and I. Um, and that getting what I want, not getting what I don't want, doesn't bring me happiness. So those are the four that have been in my heart every day for a while now. Thank you very, very much. That's great. Who else? There you go. I forgot your name. Beth. Beth, sorry about that. Okay. Well, mine is from Pema Chodron, and it's very simple, so it sticks with me. It's, I don't have to read it. It's just there. Don't make a big deal out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and I use it all the time, and it's really like a dharma that's so accessible. Mm-hmm. At work, don't make a big deal. At home, <laughs> eh, not so big a deal. <laughs> it's real easy. Actually, let's talk about that one for a minute. Isn't that good? 
and it's, it's I think I think we all particularly resonate to the fact that um, that it's in a very modern idiom, modern idiom, like making a big deal is a is certainly an idiomatic expression. I, I more or less finished with that book I was reading by Michael Singer called The Untethered Soul where he said that things happen all the time. Some you like, some you don't like. You know, he said it's it's even possible to know I like it or I don't like it. He said it's not about not like it's not about not having that happen. It's about not making a commotion in your mind. So it's like a big deal as a commotion. Don't make a commotion about it, you know. Contented and easily satisfied, you know. It isn't what I wanted, but it's what I got. Yeah. I just reminded me of calling a friend last night, and I loved him dearly, and he is a bit like the pianist you were describing, <laughs> and extremely brilliant and, and a wonderful human being. But when I said to him, I don't have the pathology report, his first comment was in a very loud voice, that is bullshit, and it is extreme negligence. <laughs> a lot of medical stuff happened to him. So I remember saying, you know, I just put down in it and don't make a big deal. And I said, you know, I don't have enough evidence to know whether it's bullshit. And I said, so I don't come to that conclusion. And immediately he went back to his softer voice and his kinder voice. Yeah. And I thought, wow. You know, I remember getting into it with him about that and feeling the same excitement. Yeah. And I controlled it and didn't make a big deal. Yeah. I'm very grateful for uh, hearing you say that and for reminding of the actual time of yeah. not letting that happen. Yeah. And how not not only do you not frazz up your own mind, but you unfrazzed his. Yeah. <laughs> for the moment. <laughs> I think that I, I, this is a, what's your name? Barbara. Barbara. I think it's a very important thing. Aren't there times that we should make a big deal? I think we can make a big deal in terms of stand up. Now, I'll let someone else do it, but, but, you know, I have a view. Everybody, I think, well, what's the answer to this? Civil rights. But, you know, I think that making a big deal doesn't mean that we get the mind wildly upset. I think we make we, we take a stand, we show up, you know. If Barbara doesn't heal pretty soon, hear pretty soon, she'll probably phone and talk to them for her own benefit and for theirs and for Ed's and for everybody to be able to relax. But there'd be a way to phone up and say, I need to talk to somebody about when it is going to happen because it's alarming to me to have this long interlude. Please explain to me why there's a long interlude. I mean, you could take a firm stand without <laughs> without vilifying them. Pummeling the piano. Pummeling the piano. But the whole idea is, well, not to vilify the other person, but not to upset yourself. The people who go on, all the times that we have, many of us, gone on peaceful demonstrations because something is a big deal to us and we want to really take a stand. But to, to go on a peaceful demonstration and take a stand without mm-hmm. frazzing up the mind. What's another word for frazzing? Agitating. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, or maybe at ease. At ease, the mind at ease. Um, I suppose you would say in that moment, not content because I really want to make a statement not content with the world situation. But my mind itself, you know what it could be? I could use the word content twice in a sentence. I can say, I am not content. Uh, I disapprove of the the path this country is taking in the direction of going to war, for instance. I really strongly disapprove of that. That's not um, uh, an idea that I can be at ease with. But... Uh, I am content. I'm, I am at ease with the fact that we are in this situation because of zillions of other situations and because many, many people are pushing us in that direction. So may my voice be one of them that's many people pushing in another direction. So uh, I think, I think maybe if I hadn't said that well enough, I was thinking to myself that if, we, if I could take the word should 
that the word should is a, such a complicated word uh, that indignation arises when you think it shouldn't be like this. And what we usually mean is, I wish it wasn't like this. You know, I, I, it shouldn't be that we have so many homeless people in this country. It shouldn't be that people bankrupt themselves over health care. It shouldn't be that people don't get health care when they're direly sick. It shouldn't be that so many people drop out of school because they don't have the necessary uh, support to stay in and become confident. But I think what we mean is, I wish it were the kind of society in which all of those things were different. Shouldn't be means that, you know, compared to what? I wish this were different. Uh, it's not a mistake in the sense that it's this way because numbers of people have you know, brought their influence to bear on all these situations. And this is the karmic result of, I think, a lot of ignorance. Uh, but what I can do is uh, exercise my own potential to get other people with me to bring wisdom to bear on all those situations and to change them. You know that um, I think that it's so it's reassuring to me to think what's happening couldn't be otherwise given what happened, but the future can be different given what's happening now. And instead of losing my energy by being mad at other people's ignorance, I can use that energy to bring my own wisdom and other people's to make change. Yeah. I struggle so much with this because I think that, I mean, I protested a whole lot more when I was younger, but I think that you can't really do that in anger. And I think a wonderful example was when we were arrested together at the beginning of the war in Iraq, but we went in there to the people and we said, we know you're just doing your job mm -hmm. and we bless you. And, you know, they did the whole thing and then they let us go and they walked us one by one to the door because we were such troublemakers mm -hmm. and... The policeman who took me to the door, when I got to the door, he said, would you bless me? <laughs> I mean, people are just waiting for this. And, and this was, you know, oh, a matter of fact, when they took us to the bathroom, they had their handcuffs on. Remember, he said, would you, if I take the handcuffs off, probably you're not going to make a break for it. This is, this is out of the second floor. We would have to leap out of the second floor window of the federal building. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can also change the ideas of, of yeah. some other people. Yeah. I, I mean, I think we just have to keep making these protests, but trying to do them in the same kind of loving, yeah. kind way. Right. Yeah. And I think we protest for ourselves. I mean, I feel that I just I do it to make myself feel good, and because of and all the things I can't do and can't change and can't take care of, they're off my yeah. list now. <laughs> hey, what are you going to say? Uh, I have a new mantra, but. This, was, this did not come from my own work, <laughs> but it's uh, basically life is short. Don't complicate things. Yeah, it's okay. really that we used to do it. I'm, you know, I'm a former coach, and we used to say it it's the K I S S way. It's keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. No, no. I think that K I S S way is good. <laughs> my grandson taught that to me, actually. Amara. Um, I have two. One is from my dear friend and teacher, Vinnie Ferrara, uh -huh. who said, um, may I meet each moment with kind awareness, which I love because awareness alone is a really good start. And then with kindness, yeah. that's definitely how I want to live my life. And it, I, I think of that often. And the other one is from my dear teacher, Sylvia Borstein, who says, and I remember many times, I couldn't be better. <laughs> that is really profound. Archie, thank you very much about that, Amara. I'd forgotten that recently. You know when it's especially good to remember that? Well, for me, it is especially good to remember that. Uh, when I do something that I immediately regret afterwards, I, you know, I, I maybe I, I speak uh, too abruptly to someone in my family. It happens, uh, and then uh, we part, whoever it is. And the second after I've left, I feel bad. 
about the abrupt speech. And uh, then I think, well, you know, maybe I could phone, maybe I could this, maybe I could that. But it's already happened. And then I feel remorse. Uh, how could you do that? You know, here you are, spiritual teacher, blah, 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 all of that, make a mistake like that. Then I think to myself, wait a minute. I do know better. Maybe I'm tired, I'm rushed, I'm hungry, I'm sleepy, I don't feel well. Or something or other. I couldn't, I couldn't have been better. If I could have been better, I would have been. I'm actually smarter than that. I'm wiser than that, not smarter, wiser than that. So something, uh, you know, wasn't an evil inclination. Something wasn't working right. My team was not in place. Or they hadn't warmed up right. They were playing wrong or something. Something, you know. That, but I don't have to beat myself up. I just have to say, all right, now we have to do the warm-ups before the next game or something so we play better. Make sure that we're not hungry, sleepy, tired. What is it? There are four in AA. What is it? Hungry? Hungry, angry. Lonely and tired. Lonely and tired. Halt. That's it. Hungry, angry, lo- lonely, tired. What we, we have? Yeah, thank you very, very much. Do you know the Cope is Already Broken story? Mm-hmm. Variations of it is someone comes to visit a uh, uh, a Zen master who offers him tea, and the Zen master is pouring himself, um, or the person, I don't think it makes a difference, tea out of a cup that the guest recognizes as a very rare piece of ceramic art and uh, one that people might normally have on a shelf, and remarks to the Zen master, you know, this is just, you know, it's not even a special occasion, and maybe you should be more careful with this cup and not use it. And the Zen master said, you know, in my mind, this cup is already broken. It's a really, you know, use it now. Uh, when my mother-in-law died, Ace, and I was going through her drawers, I found 12 pairs of beautiful gloves that she had never worn, that she was saving for a special occasion. And I began to, which is the same, it's a latter-day version of the cup is broken. Uh, but it, it's, you know, use it now, enjoy it now. You don't know, you know, when when you're going to be able doesn't mean be improvident, you know. Uh, it really means, you know, what Brahmani said about this is going to pass. You know, that, uh, nothing is going to last forever and ever and ever. Yeah. Yeah, uh, going back to the saying that really uh, stayed with me and struck me. I remember uh, an interviewer was interviewing um, a great jazz uh, black pianist if you could help me, what are some great? Oh, I'm so glad you forgot his name. That's such a relief to me. I forget everything. <laughs> and the, this person was interviewing Duke Ellington, and he was saying, "You know, here you are, the, one of the greatest pianists of all time, and it must have been really painful and hurtful, all that discrimination and." Uh, racism and how did you deal with it with all that anger and hurt and what did you do and he said I took all that hurt and all that anger and I just sung the blues uh, so just thank you very very much um, it's a perfect time for me to say that uh, there's an article in the most recent uh, Shambhala Sun by, called Life is Tough, Deal with It, uh, 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 written by Norman uh, Fisher, who's got uh, six sayings, but I'll save them for after we do ours. 
And the first one of those say, oh, they're not Norman sayings. They're sayings from those Lojong slogans. Remember a year or so ago, we did Lojong slogans for a few weeks. Who doesn't remember the Lojong slogans? It's all right not to remember because it means I'll bring them one week and we'll do them again. Now, who doesn't remember the Lojong slogans? (laughs) They're really, they're slogans and then you think about them. One of the slogans is turn all mishaps into the path. Turn all mishaps into the path. What else? Thank you. There's three. One, the most complicated is, um, actually comes from years of listening here, just that it is my story, um, that, that we have libraries of stories, and I think of those golden books that <laughs> just saying, okay, I'm tired of that story right now, I'm going to put that one back on the shelf and take out a different story. So not mm-hmm. disavowing things, but just saying I've got a lot of stories, so let's mm-hmm. read a different story for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, and two, it was out of the book The Happiness Project. It said, um, act the way you want to feel. Mm-hmm. And even things like driving when somebody cuts in, I'd rather feel kind than contentious. So I just make up a story that they're hurrying to the hospital to see somebody in the ICU. <laughs> so that I can feel better. Yeah. Um, and then the third one, which I started really playing with a few months ago, is to say it's not fair. And it was I was in a day long up here and people were talking and that was one of the premises that we were working with and in a small group people were sharing stories of how things didn't go wrong and it wasn't fair. And I just started thinking, but it's not fair. None of it's fair. Mm-hmm. It's not fair that I was born in a family that valued education and that I was smart enough to go to med school. You know, it's no more fair than mm-hmm. anything else, but it brings such an incredible sense of awe um, when I can remember to say it's not fair when things are going my way instead oh. of saying it when they're not going my way. Mm-hmm. And I just, I'm really excited about that. Like that. That's very good. I like that. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> usually we think the opposite. It's when, yeah. Yeah, somebody's going to say, oh, I'm go- okay, go ahead, and then there's somebody over here. There's a thing, it's in the Gratitude Hut, and it, I've heard it in different places. <coughs> I think I heard Ajay Shanti say it the first time, and then I saw it in the Gratitude Hut, and then Donald has said it, and finally, I actually know the name of the person who said it. Nisargadatta. Oh, Nisargadatta Maharaj, he was Jack's teacher. And Love says I am everything. Wisdom says I am nothing. Between these two, my life flows. And I just love that. (laughs) Now, the other one that I love is by Sylvia Borsky. (laughs) Life is so challenging and difficult for everyone. How can we be anything but kind? Yeah. 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 And I read that off of a redwood burl. <laughs> <laughs> that you could find in a national park. <laughs> Somebody, you know, seriously, that's uh but I saw it on my first retreat. It was on the shelf. And I thought, well, if that's what they do here, I should stay here. Something like that. What else? Somebody, yeah, Lynn. In my first retreat with Ajahn Amaro here, people were kind of jockeying around in the in the hall to be in front or behind a good seat. And he just said, be happy where you are planted. <laughs> yeah. That's a very good line. I mean, it, 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 it raises a lot of agitation. Be happy where you're planted. Yeah. I'll relay a story that uh, really affected me a lot in my life, and it was actually a story you told. It was uh, maybe four years ago. It was a 30, one month soon. Uh, and uh, I had always had a lot of, uh, you probably retold it, but uh, a 
I'll talk, talk about it. I've always had, uh, earlier in my life, a lot of regret, regrets about this and that. And you told, one day you talked about regret. And you told the story of uh, a friend of yours, I guess, that was uh, dying. And you'd gone to the hospital and he said, I, I don't know what period of time, but in this last month or my life, I might have wanted a I might have wanted more, but I never wanted other. Mm -hmm. And that really struck me, and uh, I've shared that many times with uh, other people. It always was always struck them. And uh, and you talk more about regret, and uh, particularly the piece about it's all one package. And if you could have had that, you might have not have had the positive things. Also, you can't pick and choose like that. Mm -hmm. Besides the craziness of just regretting something that's already yeah. happened. <coughs> and since that time, I, I, I think that regret has never had the same hold on me. Mm -hmm. Not that I have you know, it come up again, but it, I was able to just <coughs> let it go. And, uh, so thank you for that. Thank you for reminding me of both of those. It's a long time since Bill Cohen died. And uh, it was he who said he was dying of he was dying of cancer quite young. And he said, I would have wanted more, but I never wanted other. And I thought, that's the key, to not want other. That's actually what the Buddha said, that the cause of suffering is wanting other. But it, not even just wanting, but insisting that things be other. It's the imperative in the mind. It's the idea, I can't be happy unless I have something else. Plenty of things I want. You know, I want the whole world to have enough to eat. I want everybody to have health care, and I want this and this and this. And I think I work as hard as I can to have that happen. But to have it be, I can't. My mind can't be contented unless that's happening. Is where the mind gets stuck. I mean, that's where we have some amount of freedom that we can elect to say all these things. I hope I can change because. I, you know, I wish there were a world for my grandchildren, for me, for everybody that was different. But in the meantime, it's like this. So with peaceful mind and kind intention, what can I do? It's really, you think about it, it's really, sometimes people say about, um, you know, what's Buddhism like or what kind of a religion is it? I think it's a, it, I think it's a, a it's very um, pragmatic and realistic and sensible. It's like a religion of sensibility, you know. Recalculating, you made a mistake. This is not going where you want to go. Do something else, you know. Um, who didn't say? There you go. Just a, a comment on the constellation of Dharma. I remember about a year into practice, which isn't that long ago, I heard a talk on the four hindrances, and it was such a relief. Yeah. This is amazing relief. It's like, oh, we're doing this together. Yeah, yeah. But the phrase that comes back to me, apart from the Redwood World phrase, which I love, is it's all practice. Yeah. It's yeah. all It's all practice. It's all practice. You know, moment to moment, coming over White's Hill this morning, there I was fifth in line of cars behind a big Pepsi Cola truck. <laughs> And the truck is coming up really slowly. Huh? Were you in that line? <laughs> that was really nice. He pulled, and we came to a certain place where he could pull over, and he did. And everybody zoomed by. But I've thought about what's everybody in the car thinking about. Uh, you know, he's a Pepsi Cola truck. He can't go faster than that. It's a big truck. Yeah. Yeah. Receive what is given. What is given is grace. Uh -huh. And that really helped me. That anchored me through, through yeah. a very difficult time. Yeah. And, and the other one is because I, I am, can be a very fearful person. And I, I read this actually in Course in Miracles. What can frighten me when I let all things be exactly as they are? Uh -huh. mm -hmm. You know, sometimes, thank you very much for reminding me, too, about the Course of Miracles as a source I haven't talked about in a long time. <coughs> did you study it for a while? I did, actually, 30 years ago. Oh, 
couple of couple of times through. I mean, this past year, I've, I've been going through it again. It's profound, actually. It is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I should look at that again. It's in a, a sort of a Christian context. Yeah. But that's actually quite superficial to yeah. what the depth of yeah. course Thank you really for reminding mm-hmm. Tell me your name again. Margaret. Margaret. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Margaret, for reminding me again about the Course in Miracles. I'd like to look at that. I almost said I should look at that, but I, I edited it before I said it. Wouldn't it be fun to take should out of your vocabulary? You want to try it for a week? I mean, on your own. See if every time you're about to say should. We should do that. We should do that. You mean to say I'd like to do that? Yeah, Brownie, what? We used to say change your shoulds to coulds. Ah, there you go. Put it in other contexts as well. Yeah, yeah. But let's see this. Let's see if you catch yourself and look if look if it doesn't always mean I really wish you were going to say something and then Nancy. What were you going to say? Um, and sometimes you hear words or you hear sayings and you, you misinterpret or the person who taught you what it meant was incorrect because I was brought up hearing um, my cup runneth over. Mm-hmm. And I used to interpret that as like, oh, you want the wine to run over, you want to lie. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to Rabbi Zalman See that that's a really important little concept because then we can not big concept, excuse me, big concept because I have enough is just really, we could talk a whole time about what does it mean, enough, yeah. enough, and really how much, um, when the mind feels it has enough, it's not nervous, and then it's generous. But then the question is, what will make our minds feel enough? I'm thinking next week we'll start with enough and with should. Okay. Nancy, what? Oh, just along with the should, the one I've been working on is supposed to. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. we were supposed to be leaving last night. Well, <laughs> we were supposed to, we would have. Um, <laughs> and to really be conscious. Should I have for a long time and then supposed to. Just to really say no. Yeah, so, well, we had thought we were leaving last night, but <laughs> lo and behold. Barbara. And a friend of ours who was a teacher, the poster, huge poster on the wall in her classroom says, don't shit on me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ace. Three words. What it is. <laughs> All right. So listen, I think we're on a roll. I'm I'm going to bring two things next week. I'm going to bring the Lojong sayings. Just we'll use them. We'll continue from this. Think about it. Do the homework with should and what was the other one? Supposed. Supposed to. And enough. Should, supposed to, and enough. Okay, Serena is here. This is Serena. You might want to know that in the Sangha of a Thousand Buddhas, which many of you belong to, I'm quite sure, which you remember, you pledge a thousand dollars over still three years if you want, not for long, then two years pretty soon, because we need to collect the money to build. We are up to. Uh, if a thousand people joined, we'd have a million dollars. And we have somewhere uh, four, 956, 64. We are about 40, 40 members short of a million dollars. So the fundrise now is let's get that 40 people. The four, that everybody doesn't know that the minute we get those 40 people, should I tell you? I'm going to start saying, I'm going to start sending out more enthusiastic letters that say, hey, we have a million dollars. If everybody who gave a thousand dollars would give another thousand, we'd give to Or find somebody. You be the deputy. The, the opera does that. They say, you've got tickets? Be a deputy now. Go find somebody else who's going to enjoy the opera. Maybe I'll send out, I won't send out, join again, I'll say. You could, but better than that, find someone that you could encourage to join. And then we have $2 million, and then we start to build. So so if you're if you haven't yet made that move, I sound like television. I can't send you two, though. So, so. <laughs> 
But if you sign up today, Serena is here. You brought the you brought the uh, the scroll. We have a scroll. You get to get a you get to sign a paper, get a pin, uh, sign and uh, sign the scroll, which is eventually going to get framed and hung in one of our new buildings. You get to come in two weeks to on March third. How many people are coming March third? It's going to be a great afternoon. Think about it. Look and see about it. If you have donated any kind of substantial amount of money to Spirit Rock in recent years, come. It's free. It's um, one, two, three, four, five, six Dharma teachers, seven, eight, maybe, eight. We're going to be teaching that afternoon. Wes and myself and Anushka and Richard Shankman and Larry Yang and uh, Wes and Jack, uh, all teaching about half-hour segments and different. Anushka is going to show a slideshow on Buddhist cosmology. I think that's so interesting. I mean, it's really that it'd be a really fun thing to see. Bring guests, encourage them to join. May all beings everywhere be peaceful and happy and come to the end of suffering. May all beings here at least pick up the literature from Serena. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.